You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. It's a really important question. Do you like Coke better or Pepsi better? Okay, let, let's, let's take a vote, okay? All right. If you are a, I'm, I'm a Coke person, full disclosure. If you like Coke over Pepsi, would you raise your hand? Coke over Pepsi. Oh, yeah, that's a lot. Okay, the pe- Pepsi people are now going, I ain't raising my hand now. <laughs> okay, be bold. Pepsi people, raise your hand if you're a Pepsi. Born in the Carolinas, okay. Well, this proved a point because I was curious. And I actually did some research, okay? I looked at Beverage Digest, and, and it's true, that Coke has 17.8% market share. Pepsi has 8.4% market share. Now, here's what's interesting. I looked at to see what the five top-selling soft drinks are, okay? Well, we've just learned that Coke is number one. Do you know what's number two? This kind of surprised me. Diet Coke. How about that? Pepsi's number three. Number four, Mountain Dew. And number five, the doctor, Dr. Pepper. So there are your top five soft drinks. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, we're not going to be talking about the top two soft drinks today. We're going to be talking about two mountains. Maybe you saw as you drove in or you've seen online, the title of today's message is Pick Your Mountain. We're going to look at two mountains today, and you're going to pick one of these two mountains. The first mountain is Mount Sinai. I want you to see this picture. Sinai is described as the mountain of fire. It's the mountain where God came down in a pillar of fire and gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments. The second mountain we're going to look at this morning is the mountain called Mount Zion. Now, here's a picture. I actually took this picture. I took this picture back in November, and I'm actually up on this mountain that's actually across from Mount Zion, which is the Mount of Olives. But Mount Zion is the highest point in Jerusalem. As I did a little study about Mount Zion, Mount Zion is today in the old city. It's it's a part of the, uh, just outside of the Armenian quarter. In the Old Testament, Zion was the eastern fortress that King David captured from the Jebusites, and he named the hill Zion. It became known as the city of David. That's 2 Samuel chapter 5. Now, the psalmist describes Mount Zion as God's holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of all the earth. That's Psalm 48. As time went along, Mount Zion became known as the Temple Mount. I want to show you another picture. This is a closer-up picture that I took. You see that gold dome there in the middle? You might know what that is. It's a Muslim mosque. It's called the Dome of the Rock. It was built there in 692 A.D. Here's the thing. There's another Mount Zion, and it's not one on this earth. It's actually part of the heavenly city we call the New Jerusalem. Did you know it's called Zion? The ultimate and final Mount Zion is the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, the place where God will reign forever and ever. You see, church family, these two mountains we're going to talk about today represent the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. See it again, Mount Sinai. See it? 
That represents the old covenant made by, Moses, made by God, God with Moses to the nation of Israel, while Mount Zion, see Zion again, represents the new covenant made by God with his son Jesus and all those who would place their trust and faith in him. No, this morning we're not going to be picking soft drinks, but you are going to pick a mountain. You say, no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not picking anything. I don't have to pick. Yes, you will. You do pick. You cannot be neutral here. You're either going to choose to receive Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, or you're going to reject him. So you will be choosing. You see, church family, we're all going to stand before the Lord Jesus one day. That's everyone in this room. That's everyone watching. We got people watching on Mount Pleasant anywhere. We welcome you, those who are watching live. We got people that'll be watching eventually. This shows up on our local, couple of local channels. Everyone is going to stand before the Lord Jesus one day. And you're going to be judged based on some books. Have you heard of the Lamb's Book of Life? You say, that's a strange name for a book. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins of the world, right? Jesus is the Lamb, and he has a book. And all of those who by faith have received him into their lives as Lord and Savior, confessing and repenting of their sins, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. In fact, it's been there since before the foundation of the earth. It's been there all along. God knows everything. If your name is not found in the book of life, then guess what? The Bible describes in Revelation chapter 20 that there are other books. These are the books of works. And it's in those books that your works are going to be recorded. And those works are going to be used to judge you. And those works have to be perfect in order for you to come before a holy and perfect God and Him allow you into His kingdom. Now, can you do that? No. It's impossible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it took God sending His Son, Him who knew no sin, to take your sin and my sin just on the back side of Mount Zion, there's another hill. Did you know that? It's a hill called Calvary. And this happened on Calvary because of sin. Last night I was at uh, Faith Fest. That was amazing. Any of you go to Faith Fest last night? That's why the third service is packed. <laughs> Wasn't that amazing? We were waiting for, uh, for King and Country to come out, and uh, we were standing, and a gentleman was sharing the gospel, and they put a picture of Jesus on the cross on the screens. Now, that picture that we just showed you was kind of a far away picture. The picture they had on the screens last night, it was gruesome. The death of Jesus was gruesome. I was holding Charlotte, my four-year-old granddaughter. Holding her right here. She said, Papa, she said, Papa, why did Jesus have to do that? 
Now think of that from the mind of a four-year-old. Why did Jesus have to do that? I said, Charlotte, because of sin, darling. I said, do you understand what sin is? I said, I said, sin is when you do wrong. Yes, yes. And Charlotte started thinking. Now, now Charlotte still occasionally does this. And when Charlotte's, and they're, they're putting stuff on her thumb, and it'll eventually, she'll, she'll get broke of that. But, um, but, but so, so she's, she's looking at me. I'm holding her right here, and then she's looking at those strings. So she's, she's look. She's taking it all in. Hey, be Charlotte today. Take this in. Take this in. Listen, Charlotte, you cannot go to heaven if you are living in your sin. And I explained to Charlotte, I said, Charlotte, baby, there'll come a time and place in your life that you'll understand that you are a sinner, that you, you've done wrong things, we all do, and you'll come to a place where Jesus is going to, through His Spirit, is going to draw you to Himself, and you're, you're, you'll, you'll pray to receive Him into your life. And, and she's, she's really listening. I mean, she is, I mean, locked in. Will you lock in today? Have you come to that place, Charlotte? that you have given your life to Christ, that you have trusted Him with your life? Is, is, is He calling the shots of your life? Is He your firm foundation that we were singing about? One day you'll either be judged through the Lamb's book of life, and there's no judgment in that. There's no condemnation in Christ, right? Or you will be condemned because you've refused Jesus, and you'll be judged by the books, the other books, Today, before you leave, you're going to pick a mountain. And I want you to see these mountains. Sinai or Zion. You've made your way there. Hebrews 12, pick up with me in verse number, six, verse number 18. Follow along with me. We're at the, just so you'll know where we are, we're at the foot of Mount Sinai. Ready? For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and a darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice. Can you imagine this scene? Trumpets and, and the sound that was so loud and so, and so scary that the people begged that they would get no further messages spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, this is great now, now we're moving from Mount Sinai to the different Mount, Mount Zion. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, there it is, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. That word festal is a word we can use for festival. It reminded me of faith fest. And how awesome that was. There was times last night when in the music and the singing, I was like, man, this is like heaven. And that's how it's going to be. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be awesome. Verse 23, and, and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven. That means your name's written in the book of life. And to God, the judge of all, he'll be there in, in the new Jerusalem. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. How are we made perfect? Through Jesus. Verse 24, he's the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And I say that to you today, to anyone who is watching, to anyone who's in this room. See that you do not refuse him today. The Bible says, 
For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that's speaking of Sinai, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. God's warning from heaven today. At that time, when? At Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. You know, that speaks of the tribulation period. And at, at the end of that tribulation period, there'll be, behold, a new heaven and a new earth for the first thing, order of things have passed away, right? That's that last time. Verse 27, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made. That means things that are temporary in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. That is speaking of the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Verse 28, therefore let us be grateful. See it? Let us be grateful. Let us be thankful today for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is what? Tell me. Our God is what? Our God is what? A consuming fire. Wasn't that what we were singing about? Did you catch what we were singing at the very first song today? We were singing about do what you want to, all-consuming fire fall, right? Oh, that's a coincidence. No, duh. No, we know what we're singing. All-consuming fire fall on us. Yes. Because in his presence, for those who know Jesus, that fire is welcoming but for those who don't know Christ, I mean, it's, listen, it is terrifying. God was described for the first time in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, as this consuming fire. Listen to these words. Deuteronomy 4, 24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He will have no equal. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, the apostle Paul describes God as a consuming fire. And many people don't like that idea. Even some today in Christendom. They've almost gotten to some people to describe God as, well, he's like two different gods. You know, like he's schizophrenic or something. There's a God of the Old Testament, he's just really mean. And then there's a God of the New Testament, he's just really nice. Does God change? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God who came down on Sinai, who shook that mountain, is the same God that's on the throne right now. He does not change. This is where the rub comes in, church. God is the same God that's described in the, as Jesus described the parable of the prodigal son as the father who received that wayward son back. And he hugged him, kissed him on the neck, killed the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back. And that's the same God who appeared at Sinai. And anything that touched that holy mountain, it would fall over dead like a bug in a bug zapper. <laughs> Can you feel that? And I thought about this. I, th I thought about my own father. My dad was here in the first service. My dad's a big guy, six foot seven, about 240 pounds. And when you're about seven and eight years old, that might as well be Goliath. You get what I'm saying? My dad could just look at me when I was a boy. He could just give me that look, you know, and I'd go. I mean, I, you know, you just kind of knew when to straighten up. You know what I'm saying? 
But, but I love my dad. You, you, you feel that? You, you, you know what I'm talking about. You love your dad, but you have a healthy respect for him, or you should, right? I remember one time we were at a family reunion. We were playing basketball, me and a bunch of my cousins, the ball rolled down the hill, and it rolled on top of this hole. I had no idea. I just go down there and pick. I was one of the younger ones, and they told me to go get the ball. You know how that is a family reunion. The old cousins tell the young cousins to go do all the dirty work and go down there and pick up the ball. It was on top of a yellow jacket's nest. <laughs> yellow jackets just flying out. I mean, there's like 5,000 of them, and they were all over me. The next thing I know, I was hollering and screaming. The next thing I know, I only knew where he came from. There was my dad. He was right in front of me. He grabbed my T-shirt at the neck and ripped it off of me, picked me up and hugged me, and he had me, and he was running away, sheltering me, and he, they were lighting him up, but he took care of me. The same daddy that could scare me to death is the same daddy that would take all those things from me. Do you see that? Do you have a healthy respect for God? We come to God today so flippantly so often, like we'd come in the presence of God and go, what's up? Yo, yo, what are you, crazy? Would you come before God that way? If we were to walk in the presence of God today, I'm telling you, we'd be on our faces. We can be so flippant about the things of God. I'm, I want to park here for a minute because this is important. People who were listening to this letter being read, you know, they would take the letters of the New Testament and they would, the elders of the church would read the letter, okay? So there's an elder reading this letter in, in, in the church. There were house churches for the first and second century. There weren't church buildings until the first part of the third century. And so they had elders and they were appointed in each town, local people, right? Local guys. And here's the thing. There were still people, obviously, that were on the edge and had not received Christ. And this is the fifth final warning from the book of Hebrews. Fifth warning receive Jesus. These are Hebrews form, coming out of Judaism, and it's a new normal. They've walked away from everything that they've known, and isn't that what happens? The old things pass away, and behold, all things become new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when you come to Christ, and it's a new normal. But there were those who were still on the cusp that had chosen not to receive Christ as of yet, and so this is a final warning. And we saw this last week when Pastor Dell shared about Esau. Esau was warned, and yet he chose to sell his birthright. He, he was in the family, looked like he was part of the family, and then by selling his birthright, he walked away. Do you know what the Bible describes him as? That's an apostate. You say, I, I don't understand. I still don't get it. Let me tell you, the, 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 the most recognizable example of a, an apostate of all time is Judas. Judas, the apostle, handpicked by Jesus, looked like he was in on the deal for close to three years, and then he walks away. He sells out his Savior. You know where Judas is today? He's in hell. You understand that? He's an apostate. You say, wait a minute, I don't think I understand. You mean he lost his salvation? No, I'm telling you, an apostate was never saved to begin with. They look like they're in on the deal, but then they walk away. See, this is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, people. Understand this. It doesn't mean that as Christians we'll we won't sin. We'll still sin and mess up. But these people that walk away, and there's a bunch of high-profile people right now walking away from the faith. You've been hearing about this? These high-profile musicians, these high-profile uh, pastors and authors, 
authors, they're walking away from the faith. Have you been hearing about this? Let me tell you something. If they don't return to the faith before they die, do you know what they will show that they were? An apostate. They were never saved to begin with. You go, I don't get that. Some of these people are preachers. Oh, yes. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, he said, some will come to me in that day. That's the day of judgment. And they will say, have I not done many works in your name? Yeah, they're going to be judged by their works. Prophesied, preached in your name. Cast out demons in your name. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I have no idea who you are. You mean there are preachers that are going to go to hell? Yes, there will be many If you do not know Jesus Christ by faith and have received him by faith, then you stand in judgment based on your works. That's why they start crying out to Jesus at the judgment. Look at my works. That's all they can. The book of works are opened up. Look at all these works I did. I cast out demons. I preached in your name. Sorry, you don't know me. And so you stand in judgment based on your sin. That's what I was trying to tell Charlotte at Faith Fest. Charlotte, Charlotte, that's a hard picture to look at. You know, they kept that picture up there for what, about 15 minutes? You know what I found myself doing? I found myself at a place I couldn't even look at it. I I was like, I I started looking at the ground because I was like, man, that's so... That's so hard to look at. We just kind of get numb to it. I, I think it was smart to keep it up there. To be reminded of what it costs Jesus. Some of these high-profile people, they're now claiming that they believe in science over the Bible. Hey, church, you're going to pick your authority somewhere. You're either going to pick humanity, mankind, some man, some woman in a white coat, some college professor, some rock star, some athlete, somebody on some news show, or you're going to pick the Word of God. You're going to place your faith somewhere. See, that's Hebrews 11. That's where we just came from, the hall of faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It takes faith to trust in the Word of God. But to me, it takes less faith to trust in this book than it does to believe the scientist who says that we got here from a bang. You see, understand this, church. Where science disagrees with the Bible, I'm going with the Bible. I'm going with the creator over the created. I'm going with the fact that God said that he breathed his word into 40 authors. He theonoustos, theo, God, noustos to breathe. He breathed his word into 40 men and it was penned. And we have the word of God with 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament describing who Jesus would be, where he would be born, Bethlehem, that he would come not only out of Egypt, which he did, as a lad when they had to run to escape Herod, but he would also come from Nazareth. Do you understand? There's not been a single date, time, place, person, occurrence, or event that's ever been disproved with 30,000 archaeological digs in the area of Israel. 30,000 archaeological digs. Never once has a name, date, place, time, or event been disproved. Why? Because this is the Word of God. This is the truth. And when science disagrees with the Word of God, you're going to pick your mountain. Are you listening? And for some people today, they go, I'm going to pick science. Then you've picked man over God. 
because the scientist puts his pants or her pants on just like I do, one leg at a time. You understand? It's a human being. It's a created person. Some people today say, well, I'm walking away from God. I've read some of their public confessions because God is a God that, that He causes suffering, right? He causes suffering. Oh, this hurricane, Dorian, Category 5, you know, God could stop that. Yes, He could. Do you know why we have hurricanes? Do you understand why we have thunderstorms and why we have all forest fires and all these things? Because of a sin-sick world. There were no hurricanes prior to the, in the Garden of Eden. They're walking around naked, folks. That's kind of a nice climate. You understand? You don't need a coat. There ain't no North Face. You understand? But because of sin, everything breaks down. The whole creation groans. Romans 8 describes. People say, I don't like a suffering God. Suffering God. God knows all about suffering. He watched his son being slaughtered on a cross. He knows what it's like to suffer. People say, oh, I don't like a, a God who sends people to hell. <laughs> hey, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose hell. See, God so loved the world, He sent His only Son to die. What more can He do? See, people, God does not send anyone to hell. They choose to reject Jesus. They send themselves there. They pick themselves. God doesn't send anyone to hell. But I get it, church. We all have doubts. Do you have doubts? Does Satan place doubts in your mind? Sure he does. That's part and parcel with the Christian life. It's part of the agon. What is that? The race. But a true believer will persevere to the end. That's the point. You'll persevere to the end. Judas did not persevere to the end. He left and never came back. So many of these people, I'm telling you, these high-profile people today that you're hearing about, if they, if they do not come back and return to the faith before they die, you know what that shows me? They were an apostate. They were never saved to begin with. That's, what the, that's, that's exactly what the Scripture teaches in Hebrews 6. We were in Hebrews 6 about four months ago. That's an apostate. They tasted... They tasted, they went to Haynes Mall, they got a little piece of a chicken on a toothpick at the little Japanese place, and they looked at the price on the wall and said, I'm not paying that price, and they walked away. They tasted, but they did not come all the way and pay the price by surrendering their life to Christ. And so they're an apostate. As I've read about these high-profile people who have walked away from the faith recently, you know what I found out? Not a single one of them ever said a word about Jesus. It's all these peripheral issues. The suffering God, sending people to hell, science over the Bible. I mean, and, and all these, and, and even, even, even getting into sexual issues. It's the environment we live in. And so people, do, they don't like, we're going to talk about marriage next week. You know what marriage is in the Bible? Well, it don't fit with the culture today. It's one man and one woman together for life. Because that describes the, the union that Jesus has with us, the bride, the church. See, people don't like that. And so because they don't like that, they jettison the Bible. And they go with their own emotions. They go with their own feelings. I get it. I really do. It's hard to endure when the world's going against you. 
But see, we're not walking with the world, are we, church? And that's the hard part. Because we can get weary in the battle of always upholding what the Bible says. And in this anything goes culture that we live in, that gets wearisome. Can I get a witness? Sometimes it'd be easy just to give in, wouldn't it? And just to go along to get along. But that, that would mean turning around on the race course and going the opposite direction. And we go with the world. There are, it's a few. The way is narrow and few there be that find it. There's not a lot of people running this race course we're running. Most of them are running the broad path. It's easy. It's all downhill. We're running uphill. You understand that? And this is why the Apostle Paul said to the Hebrews back in Hebrews 10, verse 35. You're in Hebrews 12. Go back to verse uh, 35 in chapter 10. Will you do that real quick? Look at Hebrews 10, 35. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Hebrews 10, 35. Therefore, he said, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. It means there, there were some that were going to quit. For you have need of what? Endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Are you hanging in there today? I know it's not easy. Church, anytime we take our eyes off of Jesus and his word, and we begin to focus on our own reasoning, our own understanding, our own interpretations of the way we would want the word to say it, we supplant Jesus, and we have now placed ourselves on the throne and what makes us feel more comfortable. Paul offered this final warning to those first century hearers, and I offer this kind warning to you today. Choose your mountain, Sinai and the law, or Zion and Jesus. And that's the essence of the book of Hebrews is to try to encourage these believers to keep on keeping on in this race. Sinai speaks of the law. And I want to show this to you because this, we got a piece of it here in Hebrews 12. Will you hold your finger here in Hebrews 12? Would you go back with me all the way to Exodus chapter 19? Will you do that with me? Turn to Exodus 19. And let me remind you as you're turning that Sinai is representative of the Old Covenant. It's representative of the, of the fact that we're, that we're in a broken relationship. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the relationship was broken with God. And because of that, the law was given to show us our sin, which is to drive us to a Savior. Do you understand that? The purpose of the law is that it is a mirror to show us ourselves and our sinfulness, and that drives us to a Savior because we cannot save ourselves. Our works are as filthy rags, and the book of works that will be opened up on the day of judgment, they will not stack up to be able to be perfect. So, now watch this. You've made your way to Exodus chapter 19. Go to verse 9. We're at Sinai. And the Lord said to Moses, so God's talking to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Literally, the people were going to hear the voice of God. Can you imagine that? This actually happened when Jesus was on the earth. Remember when he was baptized? Remember? And the heavens opened up, and God said, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well what? Pleased, right? The same thing happened. The people were going to hear God's voice, and they were also going to hear that God said that Moses is my man. He's the leader, which would actually give you know, authentication to the fact that Moses is the leader. 
Now watch the middle part of verse 9. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. What does that mean? Set them apart. Okay, clean them up. Tell them to wash their garments and get ready for the third day. Man, it makes me think of the, of the tomb, the empty tomb, third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits, Moses, for the people all around. It's like he's going to have to put police tape up around the, the foot of the mountain. See it? He says, and you better tell them, take care, God said, to not go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. Why? Because when God touches that mountain, that mountain is holy. And you and I cannot in our sinful flesh touch that which is absolutely holy and survive it. And God told Moses, you tell them not to even touch the bottom of that mountain. And not only that, watch this. Verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, not even an animal. Man, don't let a little sheep get lost and head to the foot of the mountain when God comes down the third day. It'll die too. Middle part of verse 13, when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. See, the people were encamped out there in the middle of the desert. They had left Egypt. So where were they? In the middle of the Sinai Desert. There's only one thing out in the middle of the Sinai Desert, a mountain, Mount Sinai. That's it. The rest of it is flat and dry, nothing. They had no way to get food. How did God feed them for 40 years? Manna from heaven, right? So here they are. They're out there in the middle of nowhere. You got Egypt behind them. You got the promised land before them. And here they are. They're stuck at Sinai. And God told Moses, tell all the people to come out and surround Sinai. There's over two million of them. Some scholars say that by the time they, they came out of bondage in Egypt for 400 years, there could have been two and a half million people. So they're going to come out and surround the mountain. Okay, that was the command of God. Now watch this. The trumpet will sound. Verse 14, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and he consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. And this is for the marital couples that was in, in, in the group. He said, don't have marital relations. That's what that means. Don't go near a woman, okay? This, set yourself apart for this season of time. 1 Corinthians 7 actually describes that too, husband and wife. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about a season of time to set yourselves apart if you're praying about an important matter, but to come back together quickly so that you'll not be given to temptation. So this is not a long season or period of time, okay? Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Now watch this, and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Can you imagine? Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. <laughs> And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Can you imagine the rumbling under your feet? And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn 
warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. See, God is reminding Moses, tell the people, don't come up this mountain. Look at me, because you know there's some blockheads that would say, God's on that mountain, I want to go. And they think somehow they're going to survive it. I mean, that's like a bug in a bug zapper. <laughs> no way. See, watch this. Verse 22, also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Stop a second. Who are the priests? They're the leaders. I parked on this for myself for a moment. I'm a leader here, right? You, you've chosen me to be an elder, a pastor, a shepherd, to, lead, to be one of the three that leads this flock, right? Do you, know, do you know why I believe this verse is here? Because sometimes you could stand up here and you could teach and preach and not be right yourself. And, and, and what God is saying to Moses, don't let these priests think that they just get in on this deal because there's some leader in this deal. Everybody's got to be clean. Everybody. I'm going to tell you, I stand up here in fear and trembling. Because I know, I know my heart. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. And I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, please cleanse me of my sin so I can stand up there and preach to these dear people. Because if my sin stands in the way, then you're not going to be able to hear from God. It's still, it's still, I'm still astounded that God could even use somebody like me. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But God's called me to this, to teach and to preach. And so I've got to be right so that I can deliver the message that God has given for us to you. And so the priests have to get consecrated. Verse 23, and Moses said to the Lord, and it's like Moses is arguing with God. Watch this. He said, Lord, I've already told the people they can't come up to Sinai for you yourself warned us, saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. It's like Moses said, God, I've already done this. You know what God said? Moses, shut your mouth. That's verse 24. Watch it. Here it is. Moses, shut your mouth. And the Lord said to him, go down, go down, and come back up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out, God would, against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. That's Sinai. Church, I'm going to tell you something. That's a terrifying passage of Scripture, if you ask me. Ground shaking, smoke trumpet blasting so loud that the people cried out to God as Paul said to the Hebrews, stop! We can't hear any more of this. This is too terrifying. It's a fearful thing to stand in the presence of God in sin. Go back to Hebrews 12. Let's see this. Hebrews 12, look at verse 24. Excuse me, verse 21. Hebrews 12, 21. Indeed, so terrifying was what Moses saw on Sinai that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now look at me, church. Look, look. Moses, the man that went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pharaoh for 10 plagues, toe-to-toe, mono-e-mono, and not once does the Bible ever say that Moses was afraid. Moses, the people are delivered from Egypt and everything's looking good until they get to the Red Sea. And then a messenger says, oh, by the way, all of Pharaoh's army are behind us and they're coming to get us. And there's the army behind and there's the Red Sea before. And not once does it say Moses was afraid. But you put him in the presence of God 
And Moses said, I'm scared to death. Do you understand how powerful God is? That he spoke the universe into existence? He spoke Saturn into existence with its rings around it? Do you see who God is? We studied this a few weeks ago back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. I just want you to see the verse. Hebrews 10, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'll ask you again, church. Are there two different gods? A God for Sinai and a God for Zion? Are there two different gods, a God for the Old Testament and a God for the New Testament, a mean God for the Old Testament, a, a kind God for the New Testament? Well, how about my dad? The same father that I could just look at and I knew he meant business that would just strike the fear of God in me is the same dad who would rip my shirt off and take my yellow jacket stings. Same man. Hey, same God. You understand? Can you feel that? So often in our culture today, even in Christendom, people try to make two different gods, and there's only one God. He doesn't change. I think about last night at Faith Fest, and I think about that picture of Jesus on the cross. And I don't have that picture, but I showed you this one, so we'll show it to you again. If I did a close-up on that, that's gruesome, but I'm not. Jesus was beaten an inch from his life with a cat of nine tails. If you could go behind the cross and see his back, most likely doctors tell us that his kidneys were exposed. You say that's love. It is. And that's also the price of holiness. You know what I see when I look at that? I see love, yes, for God so loved the world, but I also see God's holiness. That's what holiness did to God's son. That's what sin does to a life. That's what your sin does to a life because that's your sin. That's my sin. And that's why when I was holding Charlotte last night, I wanted to stick my thumb in my mouth. <laughs> I was looking at the ground because I'm like, man, the things that I just flippantly let go in my life, Attitudes, thought processes, the way I deal with people, the things that I allow into my mind. And it's, it's just God, you know? What's up, you know? How you doing, man? You good, man? You good? You my pal. No, he's God. See, there's that rub. There's that reverence. My dad, mm, yeah, yeah. I won't do it again, daddy. <laughs> yeah, I know you've told me like 5,000 times. Okay. Right? Healthy fear, reverence, but also the daddy that was carrying me and getting lit up. I'll never forget that as long as I live. He had things all over his arms. I had them all over my back. Yellow jackets hurt like the devil. You ever gotten a yellow jacket's nest? My daddy loves me. 
But my daddy also expected me to listen and to obey him. Feel that? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. We like the first part. We like the Jesus that loves, 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 but he actually expects us to do something. You know what he expects us to do? Obey him. He expects us to obey him. Because when we obey him, there's peace in our heart. Do you have peace in your life? You won't as a believer if you're not obeying him. You cannot have peace in your heart if you're not living in obedience. You say, that's legalism. No, it's not. That's just being smart. Okay? Look, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. Okay? You understand? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So listen, if keeping his commandments bother you, I'll say, I've said this a hundred times in the last four weeks. If keeping Jesus' commandments bothers you, then just love him. Because if you really love him, you will obey him. You understand that? So if the obedience commandment part kind of causes a little rub for you, then just love him. I mean, love him for what he did on the cross for you, that he took your punishment. He took my punishment and love him for that. Don't walk in the sin that he died for to deliver you from. And don't justify it to somebody just because it's popular today. Don't justify the garbage that leads people to oppression and shackles when Jesus came to deliver us from it. Oh, come on. That's what it means to follow Christ. There's freedom in that. Freedom in, a, in obedience. Obedience is not a bad word. It is power. It is joy. There's no greater joy in my life than to follow Jesus and to obey Him. And so we warn people. That's what Paul told the Corinthians. See, we're actually to warn people about God's holiness. Watch this on the screens. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Watch this. Paul told the Corinthian church, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, that word fear is phobos. Guess which English word we get from that? Phobia. Okay? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we what? Persuade others. That word fear in the Greek means dread, terror, and reverence. Dread, so read it that way. Therefore, knowing the dread, terror, and reverence of the Lord, persuade others. See, this isn't your best life now we're calling people to. What happened to the first century believers? What happened to these Hebrews? We just read about this at the end of chapter 10. Remember, they were losing their homes. They were destitute, living in caves. Some of them were being killed. Remember, this, this isn't prosperity gospel here. You understand that? This is a gospel that will lead to suffering in this world that is counter to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not inviting people to come to Jesus so that they can have their best life now. I'm inviting people to come to Jesus so they won't go to hell. Do you see? That is the fear of the Lord because people that don't know Christ, they're going to hell. It's not that they're not going to have a good life down here for 75 or 80 years. It's that they're going to live in hell for all eternity. Do you see? And that's why Paul said, look, watch the screens. He would say just nine verses later to the Corinthians, therefore, 4, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We beg you, we implore you, come to Christ and be reconciled to God. I beg you today. 
If you're watching on Mount Pleasant anywhere today, listen, we've got a young man sitting back here. He is on the computer live right now. Talk to him. Tell him you need Jesus. Listen to me. If you're here today, listen, this is a warning from God in his word. I mean, who preaches this today? Who preaches this today? We want to preach these little feel-good messages, tickle the ears messages, and then people walk away from the faith. I read something else while I was in Corinthians that just that shook me. And I want you to see it. Don't turn there. For sake of time, just listen to it. Watch it and, and hear it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. I've read the Bible through many times, several times, but I missed this passage. These three verses. Watch this. this. This just opened up my eyes to something. Now watch this. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, what was carved in letters on stone? Ten Commandments, right? And what's it called? The ministry of death. How about that? The Ten Commandments is called the ministry of death. Why? Because it shows us our sin. You got it? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. So it's a ministry of death. It shows us our sin. It's actually a help to expose us. You watching this? It is carved in letters on stone. And it came with such glory that when Moses finally came down off the mountain, they couldn't even look at him. Because when he had been in the presence of God, his face was lit up like lightning. It's amazing. And and. Paul describes that as glorious. And he said, as glorious as that is, it came to an end. The ministry of the law. Why? Because Jesus came. Not to abolish the law, but to what? Not to abolish it, but to fulfill it, right? That's verse 8. Will not the ministry of the Spirit. So we got the ministry of death, Ten Commandments. The ministry of the Spirit is Jesus. It has even more glory. Verse 9. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, and there was in the Ten Commandments, Moses coming down off the mountain, the ministry of righteousness far exceeds it in glory. And that is the resurrection. And that is the fact that we will be born again and resurrected to a new life. This ministry of righteousness is Mount Zion. And that's Hebrews 12, verse 22. Listen to these next couple of thoughts and we'll be done. Hebrews 12, look at verse 22 in your Bibles. Thanks be to God, we are not at Sinai. We are now to Zion. See it? But you, but you, but you have come to Mount Zion. You're not at Sinai. You have come to the city of the living God. Those who have accepted Christ by faith, we're going to have a new Jerusalem one day where there will be innumerable angels in festal gathering. That word festal means festival. I thought again about faith fest. I just, last night was just like heaven. I was like, this is awesome. And there will be all those angels. And who else will be there? The assembly of the firstborn. Who is that? That's us. Those who have our names enrolled in the book of life. God will be there, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous, his children. In verse 24, who else will be in heaven? The new Jerusalem? Jesus. The mediator of that new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know what Abel's blood cried out? Vengeance against Cain. But do you know what Jesus' blood cries out? Mercy. Mercy. We were singing about that earlier in that new song the praise thing was teaching us about mercy, that he has eyes of mercy. Jesus does. Maybe think of that old Phillips Craig and Dean song. Mercy came running like a prisoner set free. 
Thank God for mercy. Thank God for Mount Zion. So here's the message. Which mountain are you going to stand in front of? You going to go to Sinai? See, you can't approach God at Sinai because he's holy. You're at the foot of the mountain. You'll never get to him. You'll never get to him. You'll never get to him. But you come to Zion and you come to Jesus and he'll take you right into the presence of God. He'll take you right to his daddy's house. For in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself. That's the new Jerusalem. Because where I am there, you may be also. In Sinai, I told you there was nothing in Sinai in that desert but one mountain. There was no place. See, the people were exposed. You got Egypt here, you got the promised land here, and here the people are, and they're exposed. They're in a desert, nowhere to go. And the presence of God comes in on that mountain in, at Sinai. And that's what the law does, it exposes us. I read a verse from Isaiah 28, 20 that describes this. Take a look at this. You may have never seen this verse before in your life. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. You ever slept on a bed that's too short? Happens to me all the time. <laughs> when you're six foot six, it's just kind of tough. Last weekend, we were down at, uh, in Atlanta, went to Dr. Charles Stanley's church. Do you know he's 86 years old and still preaching? It's amazing. But it stayed in the Hampton Inn. The beds aren't long enough. Okay, you know what I'm saying? I'm hanging off. But here's what was even worse. The bed was not only too short, the blame covers were too narrow. That Friday night we were down there, I'm, I'm sleeping beside a Pam, and I'm like, she's hogging all the covers. I woke up freezing half to death, so I gave a little tug. There was a little light in the room because I could see, and then I, I could see her like pajama pants sticking out from, I'm like, what did they do? Put a twin sheet on this bed? What is that? So I got as close to her as I could getting over here. My hind end was hanging out. Her hind end was hanging out. I'm like, what is wrong with this Hampton Inn? And I was reminded of the fact that that's our sin. We can't cover ourselves. The bed's too short and the sheets are too narrow. Do you see? If it helps you to think, do this. Think about this. See it one last time. Hebrews 12, 25. See it? See that you do not refuse. Please, this is the warning. This is the warning. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that's at Sinai, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Don't reject Jesus. No, dear church family, we're not picking between Coke and Pepsi. I personally prefer Coke. It's a little bit stronger. Makes my nose hairs tingle when I drink it. <laughs> There's no straddling the fence here today. It's Sinai or Zion. It's the law in the ministry of death, or it's Jesus and mercy. Thank you for joining us for today's message. 
Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.